This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve, too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast for the week of June 4th. I'm your host, William Lou. I'm joined on the program by Raptors fandom specialist, uh, Joe Wolfon. What's going on, man? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, I think I, I'm, I might be personally over the Raptors sadness, finally, after uh, taking a weekend getaway in Montreal, but um, Wolfon, are, 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 you, are you still stuck on this? I mean, people need to know, man. People need to know that it's going to be okay. We can come into the, uh, you know, we'll come out of the shadows and, you know, talk about how we don't get enough attention yet, you know, things like that. We we, we need to know it's been okay. Yeah, I feel okay. I mean, for people who are, you know, kind of looking for the Raptors to come out of the shadows and, like, get more media attention, get more respect, get a Christmas game next year. Mm, um, I don't know. Happening. I don't know if any of that's going to happen. Um, what can I say, man? Recency bias is strong mm. and, um, you know, that, that hurts the Raptors every year because, uh, every year what the, the people remember about the Raptors is them, uh, throwing up on themselves in the playoffs. So, yeah, um, it is really unfortunate. That's, that's, that actually is. I mean, look, we've been swept three of the last four times once in the playoffs. Yeah. That's nuts. <laughs> it's pretty wild. Yeah, but three of the last four years, um, the last image that people have of the Raptors is them getting swept out of the playoffs. Yeah. Um, and it's too bad. It is It is really too bad because I think what it what it really does is it makes everyone feel like a fool because it kind of invalidates like everything that went on in the season to um, – you know, justify enthusiasm in this team. Like, it makes everyone look crazy, right? And um, I think it, it also do, it does two things. One, it makes everyone look crazy because, like, why were you so gassed about the Raptors? Even though there was definitely enough reason. And the flip side is that, like, it kind of invalidates a, a lot of what the Raptors do in terms of, um, you know, their progress to the regular season and the, the development of players and sort of even the development of the style of play and, and the stars and the coaching and stuff like that. And, of course, it's really the Raptors' own fault that it gets invalidated because it ends up so poorly every year in the playoffs. But, um, yeah, I think I think there's a lot that we're overlooking and that in, in the when we slowly climb out of the sadness, we'll cling on to things like what the Raptors did this year. And they did a lot of great things this year. And um, I feel like we could use this podcast to talk about some of that stuff while also acknowledging that, you know, the failure at the end was was really traumatic. Yeah, I mean, you know, we could be having the same conversation about, you know, any of the last few years probably in Raptors history, right? Like, there are always so many positives to take away from it um, and so many things to be happy about and so many things to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, it always ends up feeling a little bit, empty and a little bit disappointing because uh, there is always a feeling that, that it could have been more than what it was. Um, and they they have teased uh, greatness at moments um, and they've they've made you want to believe so badly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they have 
they have failed to justify that belief time after time. Um, and so, you know, as I wrote about when, when the season ended, uh, there, there are always two ways to look at it. And one is that, um, they, they played you for a fool and they made you believe and, and then they, uh, failed to justify that belief. But at the same time, they made you believe in the first place, which is really an accomplishment for a team that had no business even making you, uh, making you feel any kind of confidence in them, right? Like, uh, what, what this team was supposed to be or what this team should have been. Um, if you look at, you know, what these last five years have turned out to be, um, it's pretty crazy the extent to which they've exceeded expectations just over and over and over again. And yeah, then of really course fail to fail to live up to the, like those, those expectations that they've created for themselves. Um, but, uh, I mean, what are you going to do? If you boil it down, it's like a microcosm of that is like J.R. Smith basically coming in and grabbing an incredible mm-hmm. offensive rebound and then, and then dribbling out the clock because he didn't remember what the score was, you know, like, yeah, That's meanwhile, the Raptors over the last five years. Yeah, meanwhile, the same J.R. Smith shot 77% from three against the Raptors <laughs> and played pretty good defense against DeMar DeRozan to the point where in single coverage, DeMar wasn't that effective. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's, uh, you know, J.R. Smith and the Raptors will always find a way to surprise you yeah. and let you down. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, by the way, if you haven't already, I can't recommend this piece enough that Wolfon wrote um, after the Raptors got eliminated. Uh, it was up on the score. It was uh, 25 days ago, according to Google. Uh, I don't know. Is it still pinned on your thing or no? Uh, I think I unpinned it today, actually, uh, in place of a French Open feature. So uh, uh, it felt like time. But, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty raw. Um, the greatest you know, trick the Raptors pulled was convincing us it had a chance. That's the headline. But it's honestly not as sad as that that sort of gives off because I think it you know it's like what you mentioned it gives off both sides of how you could look at the season and it's very confusing in terms of how we should feel about the season right because like we had so many so many good moments that I, I don't know if like being swept by LeBron again necessarily invalidates the fact that yes these moments happen right and I think um, that's what Open Gym did a really good job of um, summarizing. Um, you know, I mean, Open Gym is usually fantastic, um, but it's this, this last episode to sort of cap off the season was sort of especially raw. It opens up um, in Game 3 uh, in Cleveland. You see a, a shot um, from the Raptors bench um, looking at LeBron hitting that ridiculous, like, uh, running in the air, you know, banker with the right hand off the glass <laughs> against OG. Uh, and then you see the Cavs celebrate, and you see the dejection on, on the Raptors bench, and, and and it's really, really, really hard to watch that, um, and and not see, feel for the players. Um, and, and then it sort of goes through like you know uh, a retrospective of the season, and so much of the season has, has been very, very positive, and I think it, it did a really nice job of um, celebrating that while also um, embracing the fact that yes, they they ultimately failed. Um, and I don't know if anyone hasn't seen that open gym thing. I mean, first read Wolfon's piece, but then second, go watch the open gym episode because I think um, I don't know what your reactions were, but I was I was surprisingly tearing up in some of these moments. I was like, damn, like I, I love these guys, I really do. They were, they were they were really really worth your time, and then they let you down. Yeah, I, I don't know if I was wholly prepared for the kind of uh, emotional wallop that that episode packed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really grateful for it too, because I feel like I had spent a lot of time, um, writing and talking about, uh, and just dissecting the Raptors and where they're at, um, yeah. from, from like a more sort of like coldly rational perspective. Mm-hmm. And like, where, do, where does the team go from here? Um, how do they improve? You know, like, did it make sense to fire Dwayne Casey? Does it make sense to trade DeMar DeRozan? All the stuff that you kind of talk about in analytical terms and, um, it was really nice to be reminded that they're people. Like, they're they people, got real and like, they, yeah, for sure, and not just them, but like us too. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, um, first of all, shouts to the people at Open Gym. Like, they Yo, do such a good job. Shout out Jeff um, Landichu. Yeah, uh, yeah. You've you've had him on the pod before. I feel right. I'm going to try to get him back on the pod sometime in the summer. Yeah, yeah um, they they do such a good job. Um, it's amazing, um, right. and just like. The way that they're able to show the like humanity and like the inner lives of of the Raptors players and coaching staff, like it's really cool. 
to see, and they get such great footage, um, mm-hmm. and it's put together so well. Like, so it was nice uh, to live in that emotional space for a while after um, kind of forgetting about it in favor of of sort of more analytical stuff and, and trying to think rationally about like where the team goes from here. Mm-hmm. It was nice to to just like feel emotional about the team again and and to be reminded that uh, you're really emotionally attached to them. Like and you know this shit is kind of like family. Yeah, um, it really is. That that was my feeling watching it was um, I don't know. Like I, I I've been on team run it back for the most part anyway but I've also been of the mind that like you know if a good trade for DeMar comes around like you're willing to jump on it and mm-hmm. I've been of the mind that like it was tough to see Dwayne Casey go but it was time um, and it was the right decision and watching that just kind of made me feel like I was ready to ride or die with this group of people for however long you know like um, and like I would be happy to see Dwayne Casey back as the Raptors coach again I would be happy to see DeMar DeRozan back in a Raptor uniform. Um, it was a it was a great and fun team, and um, yeah, I don't know. It was just nice to live in that space again and like hear what they had to say about it uh, and feel emotional about the team again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because you know what, it's been exceptionally hard to get anyone to consume any Raptors content that isn't just like I'm super angry and you know I'm pissed off and I want to see everything blown up like. I just I, I keep thinking about like how the Raptors can like move forward and and not just the Raptors themselves but also like Raptors fans like emotionally like how do you get back into this thing because um you know you can't deny the fact that you really really love this team but at the same time um this team has not shown you a lot of love in the moments where it really really counts but I also think that like man you got to put some perspective on it as well right because like after some time like it's almost been like a month. Um, after some time, you you look back at the season, and I think you you don't want to only remember it as this great disappointment because like um, there were a lot of moments that you know you can hold on to in terms of like some of these things can move forward with that you can move forward with right. And a couple of things that like really stood out to me was like you know the fact that the bench mob right I, you could probably say that's the, been the success of the season was that. The Raptors developed the second unit um, that, you know, up until last year, nobody really knew who these guys were. And the most, I guess the most proven one of them was Norman Powell, who turned out to be one of the most disappointing. But the rest of them really, really, you know, came into their own. And um, they kind of, they found an identity. They found a swagger. They found a style of play. They carried the Raptors through a lot of these um, games, um, especially early on when the starters weren't that great. Um, And, you know, I think that's something we can take into next season, right? I don't think we can expect so many of these, a lot of these guys to be moved. I think they're going to keep a lot of these young guys. And that's something that you can build on. And just because the Raptors get swept doesn't mean that, like, you know, all of a sudden, you know, all the fun moments we saw of the bench mob of, you know, DeLon Wright randomly getting a 25-point triple-double or, like, you know, all the times Fred Van Lee hit a big shot um, or C.J. Miles going off for, like, six threes against Houston or... Pascal saving so many games, especially in in March when everyone was tired, and and Jakob coming in and having great moments. I mean that eleven offensive rebound game against the the Warriors, like all that shit happened, right? Like, and it doesn't really invalidate that. And I, we really, it really would be a shame if if we just kind of forgot about the, the 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 bench mob like that because you know they had a really great year, and I think they celebrated that really well in the in the open gym piece. Yeah, and weirdly, one of the moments that made me most emotional was uh, JV. Talking about, oh, JV was uh, great. He, he had a line saying uh, like that he balled his ass off this season. Mm-hmm. And when he said that, I just like I don't know, man. I, like part of me wanted to just get up and cheer. Like he fucking did. He balled he his did. ass off this season. Um, I mean, and, he improved as much as anybody. Yeah, and and he worked really hard, and like he worked hard, like on you know specifically the aspects of the game that um, he really needed to get better at, mm-hmm. and. I don't know, man. I was proud of him. Like that, that was the yeah, feeling that sure. I had, I think, watching this was like, there were so many of these guys that, that I felt like I had been on this journey mm-hmm. with. Um, and I was proud of all of them. And, um, I don't know, man. We, we just like forget the human element of this a lot, I think, uh, that really brought it home for me. And, you know, there's like a, a, a long segment about DeMar and what the season was like for him. Right. Um, and like how hard he worked and how much the season meant to him, despite the fact that there was so much else going on in his life. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and he and he obviously came out this year and was you know open about the fact that he'd been struggling with depression. Uh, his dad was sick. Like he was going back and forth between uh, Toronto and L.A. Yeah. Like regularly. so much on his regularly. shoulders. Regularly. Like that's yeah. like I mean we talk about that, but and we always you know be like oh wow these athletes you know they get to sit on these charter flights. There's just a lot of distance between Toronto and L.A. and like. That's just the physical toll, you know, like getting on five-hour flights, no matter how chartered it is and how how much leg room, it's still five hours of your day um, that you got to go there and come back, and right. and that's on and that's on top of the fact that you know his parents are you know both sick, like that's that that's a lot to deal with, and for him to come out and say that publicly, like to to um, sort of you know to to be a voice and champion, um, you know. Uh, on behalf of mental health advocates, like it's to become a mental health advocate, like it's it was great to see that it was a very touching moment when you saw Demar, um, you know he was he was reading that book that was presented to him by um, uh, We Got You Demar, that um, sort of just like a completely grassroots like I don't even know what you would call it something on the internet basically, but just a phenomenon that of just a lot of Raptors fans that wanted to support DeMar personally and say, I'm like, yo, you got us so many times, you know, famously with that Chris Bosh um, tweet after Chris Bosh left to Miami um, and and turning that back on DeMar and saying like, yo, we got you and here's all these stories of what happened uh, to us and, you know, how we could help you move forward and to see DeMar like interact with those kids, a lot of them were kids too, like teenagers um, you know, it really, again, it really shows you that there's a human element to all of this. Like, there's, as much as we talk about DeMar and get angry that he took some, like, long two, or <laughs> that game where he took 30 shots against Washington, and, you know, he copped to it, and he was better at going forward, but as much as we talk about all that stuff, like, and, and, you know, trading him here or there, like, we can't forget the fact that he means a lot. He means a lot, right? DeMar probably means more than any other Raptor in the, on this team. It's either him or Kyle, and it's probably DeMar, and, um... Yeah, it was nice to see. It was really nice to see behind the scenes of how that went down, and um, you know what it means to have a leader for the team off the court. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's like I, I feel like we all kind of acknowledge how silly it is when uh, we treat the like the, the the team as an extension of ourselves in a way. You know, and we yeah. we we talk about the team in terms of like the first person possessive. Mm-hmm. We say we. Like, you know, we won, we suck, yep. all of the above. Like, we, you know, we tether our feelings of self-worth to, like, what the basketball team does. Like, uh-huh. I think we all know that it's silly in a way, but, like, the, like the kind of shit that, like, DeMar does, like, I feel like that's the kind of stuff that validates it in a way, you know? Because yeah, of course. He, he was, like, a person and a player that I feel like we all felt kind of proud to own in our own way, you know? Like, proud to have him represent us. Yeah. And, um... You know, as much as we might talk about how he might not be the best basketball fit and it might make sense to try and trade him, like, I don't know. At the end of the day, I feel like that's the shit that matters more is, yeah, is feeling sure. like you, you have, like, a worthy ambassador for your city and for yourself as a person, you know? like Right. Uh, you, you want you want to root for someone that's worth rooting for. And, like, DeMar, for all of his faults, is someone that has always been worth rooting for. Based yeah, on the no way doubt. he he works, based on the way he treats people, he's fantastic with the media as well, um, and yeah, I mean this was just it was great, and and I don't know, man, it was just it was really nice to see Demar like have a smile while talking about this stuff. You know, he was talking about how, um, you know, when he, after he he met with those kids and stuff, he said, you know, it's just really awesome because you see the impact of life that you have outside of, um, you know, outside of life, not just people in sports, and it was like. Yeah, you're like that's that's the thing, right? Like you want to be, you want to be more than, I don't know, just a guy that puts on a jersey and and, and sh- you know shoots a basketball and, and goes home. Like right? you, in order to be the face of a franchise, that's what you need. This is the stuff that, you know, um, gets you there. That's what makes you the the face of the franchise. And it was, I mean, it was such a weird season for Demar because he had such a great start. Like he was doing so many new things. At one point, he was like more effective than Kyle Lowry. Um, in terms of on a team level, um, his scoring kind of tailed off, but his assists were up, up by more than ever, and he was scoring in new ways. I mean, it's that game against Philadelphia where he hit, like, five threes. Um, it was fun to see him uh, do that to Robert Covington. And, and I, I don't know, man. It was just, like, 
Demar with that with that that, that uh, Milwaukee game where he, he wins it in OT with all those huge shots. Like it was a great year for Demar. It really was such a such a year of progress. And then you know the end of the season obviously ended so poorly. Like to see him like the last time we saw him on a court for the Raptors was him walking out the floor because he took a hard foul on Jordan Clarkson. Yeah, yeah I can't believe Jordan I mean, Clarkson's getting minutes. By the way. <laughs> so it's one of the like he's straight up the worst playoff player I've ever seen, and I've seen yeah. all of these Raptors playoff games. I know, man. It's uh, it's pretty rough to watch, honestly. Like, yeah, he's worse than Pat. I would trust yeah. Pat way more to hit an open shot than Jordan Clarkson. <laughs> it's not close. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just uh, it's funny in a way because like. I don't know. I, I I had this weird feeling watching that game one and the way that it ended for Cleveland. Like it felt so familiar to me as a Raptors fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, man. It felt kind of good in a way to know that, like, at a certain point, everyone goes through it. You know, like you have those anguishing defeats that will like haunt you for all time, and eventually you come up against a team that's better, and there's nothing you can do about it. Like, yeah, we we all enter this um, endeavor, you know, whether it's just like sports fans or athletes, whatever, knowing that, like, it's mostly going to be pain. And, <laughs> like, <laughs> one team out of 30 wins every year, and, and mm-hmm. the rest is pain. So, yeah, I don't dude, know, Even man, LeBron's like, in pain. Look at look at yeah. LeBron after game one. <laughs> yeah, he looks pissed, man. He <laughs> looks so upset. Uh, he he looks so upset. I feel bad for him. I really do. The man has 49 points, and Jerry Smith did that. Yeah. Um, we'll talk more about this tomorrow on Pound the Rock. See, this is a more, more of an organic plug, <laughs> as opposed to the more transparent and over-the-head plugs we've given in the past. But please listen to that. Me and Wolfon will be on tomorrow uh, with uh, Jessica Sharrow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it, you know. Uh, this is a better live read than when, when Woj talks about underwear or, like, shaving. Okay, <laughs> so just, you, you got to compare relative to the standard. True. Yeah. Um, yeah. He he does. He he very professionally pivots um, from like you know talking cap breakdown with oh, Bobby yeah. Marks to talking about his the breathability of his underwear. So. Hey guys, <laughs> a quick moment to talk about our friends over at <laughs> Gillette. Oh man. Oh man. To hear Woj talk about how much he struggles to reach corners of his neck with a blip at the wrist is just yeah. so jarring because. Plugged in oh. basketball reporters, you know, they're just like us. Yeah, seriously. Um, um, anyway, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's just so many reasons to watch that, uh, the open gym thing. An- another thing actually kind of made me sad, but also kind of made me feel, I don't know, it was, it was nice to be reminded, but, um, so everyone did like a sit down interview. I mean, everyone except for Serge. <laughs> Serge was like barely in this thing. <laughs> But, you know, that's kind of how the season went for yeah. George. Secretly, that was actually their exit interview. It was just to do the interview with Open Gym. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I think there is um, there is, there is is an importance to that, as much as we joke, right? Like, the fact that you're willing to, like, sit down and talk to fans afterwards is, is very mm-hmm. important, right? A lot of these people don't get that chance. Like, if, if you're not Colin DeMar, you're not going to the podium. Right? you, you got to be, like, Colin DeMar... Uh, Bro, even Kyle, J- like, JV. after that, after they got swept, he, like, sat there and didn't say a single thing. Like, DeMar fielded all the questions. Yeah. Kyle kind of sat there with, like, his hat over his face. Mm. Um, like, you know, he didn't want any part of that. He didn't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. So, I, I mean, yeah. like, I get it, you know? Like, that's that's rough. And I'm sure Serge was asked. Yeah. Mm. I'm sure he was. Like, I mean, everyone else was on there, so yeah. I, I imagine they asked him, but... He's he's never he's never like loved doing media stuff. So that is true. Um, also, one of your great pieces when Serge was like, "Yeah, yeah don't worry, in the playoffs, I'll, I'll turn it on." What yeah, I mean, I don't know what, <laughs> what he was supposed to say, really. <laughs> like, I think you know, obviously, he was going to say that, but um, you know, talking to him, he definitely sounded very convinced of that. And after like two games of the playoffs, it's like really seemed like it was going to go that way. Oh my god, the yeah, first two games yeah. for Serge. Bro, yeah, remember when we were in that games. we were in that bar for game one against the Wizards, and it was like a it was like a freezing rainstorm in Toronto or something. Yeah, it's crazy. Like the Jurassic Park got canceled, right? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we were in that stupid little basement, and Serge was 
saving us. Like, Serge was probably the best player in that first half, man. Oh, my God, 100%. He, he was, like, what, 10 to 12 that game? 10 to 13? He was insane. Yeah, something crazy. Um, And then, like, the, like, game two, he didn't score as much, but he was still really, really good like, yeah, yeah. Uh, defensively. Um, And then he, he was never seen or heard from again. Um, but yeah, anyway, sorry, the one thing I was going to talk about, uh, the last thing I, I think from the Open Gym episode was that, um, it featured a lot of Norm, which was, uh, weird in a sense because Norm was so invisible to the rest of the season. Like, even when CJ was talking about the bench mob, you know, he's talking about how, you know, uh, we encouraged each other to the utmost as playing the free form of basketball, uh, right play, right shot, if you get it. We're gonna, tr- if you got it going, we'll, uh, try to find a way to get it to you, no matter which guy it is. We didn't care if it was Pascal, Jakob's night, Freddy's night, Delon's night, my night. It didn't matter, so long as we did our jobs, which is to hit people over the head, which is a fantastic quote. Like, that is a great summation of what um, the bench mob did this year. But it was also just kind of like, where is Norm in that? But um, we all kind of know, right? Norm had such a, a poor season. But um, Norm spoke, and he was like, yeah, I came into the season so excited, you know, uh, with so much energy, and he trained so hard in the summer. And, you know, that reflects pretty much everyone's belief, man. We had so much, we had so much faith in Norm. He just had the extension. He was just flown out to Oakland to, um, you know, convince Kyle to come back. And, you know, it felt like he was a core guy. And yeah, there was enough hype throughout the summer. Yeah, like, free agent pitch meeting really felt like a yeah, thing, right? It felt like you he know, was the fact part that of it the was core. him and DeMar and Dwayne Casey. Like, Jeez. he was. You know, they're treating him as like a franchise pen pole, mm-hmm. which is crazy to think. Like, you know, that's like less than 12 months ago. It was wild. Yeah. And he, he said, yeah, I mean, I don't know. He seemed pretty upbeat about it, the, the whole interview, which I mean, not upbeat, but I was just like, I don't know, in a better mood than I thought he would be, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think JV was in a better mood than he would be. Like, JV shut a lot of zen, I thought. He was just like, yeah, you know what? You know, we did a lot of good things here. There's a lot of good people to work with. It's a very fun year. And, just wasn't enough, but um, yeah, Norm. He said, you know, I probably worked too hard um, in coming into the season, and I think that speaks to both his expectation for the year and on, and therefore how much disappointment he felt, and also the fact that like, yeah, I mean, he trained for a job that never came. Yeah, like, the bench I mean, never the, needed the... a guy to create offense. We, we we thought the bench needed a guy to create offense because we didn't know about any of these guys. But the bench never needed help creating offense like that, and so Norm just never got a role. But I don't, I don't know, man. I think that minimizes it because the job was there if he was like willing to, not willing, but like if he was able to reach out and take it. Like that job was his, you know. He but they initially put him in the starting lineup. They did, but, like, that shouldn't have been a problem for him. Like, they put him in the starting lineup in the playoffs last year, and he nailed it. You know, like, it's not like he never had a problem, like, being a guy who attacked off the catch or was, like, a secondary scorer or just basically, like, a 3 and D guy. Yeah. Um, But he kept wanting to, like, like, take the dribble out and attack with the screen, which was just never really where his strengths were. Yeah, I know, but, like, I I don't really buy this this notion that, like, the fact that he didn't have a clearly defined role was the reason for his struggles. Like, I I just think there were so many opportunities for him to carve out a role for himself with this team, and I feel like they needed it a lot of times. I mean, hell, they could have used him, like, good norm in the playoffs, for sure. Oh, my God. Especially when CJ Um, was, was not providing offensively. That's what I'm saying, you know, like, I think, you know, what the playoffs laid bare as much as anything was, like, the Raps were really short on two-way wings, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think that was what they were hoping or expecting from Norm, and he, he just didn't give it to them, like, I, I don't think there was a lack of opportunity there, I don't think it was, there wasn't a role for him, I just think he never really got it together for whatever reason, right. um, but I, I agree, it was interesting to see, like, he was pretty upbeat in that interview, um, and he didn't seem super down on himself or super negative, and maybe that's a face he's putting on, or maybe he really believes it was just, you know, one one hiccup in, in a long and productive journey. But um, it was definitely disappointing, man. Like, mm. and, and you hope it's just a speed bump, and, like, he kind of picks up where he left off in 2017 and, and forgets that, those, like, last season never happened. Um, I hope he can do that because... Part of me feels like the potential is still there. Um, I think so. But, I don't think he necessarily like showed anything definitive this year, other than it was just a complete waste of a year. 
Yeah. Which, I right. mean, I guess you can say that's something, I guess, but I don't think that this is now the new, the norm, like, for what we can expect out of Norman Powell going forward, right? Like, this mm-hmm. is just the... I, 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 the thing is, I do disagree with you in the sense that, like, I know he had multiple opportunities, but it's different when, you know, you have, the, like, he, he basically started getting baby minutes, right? It was just like, oh, uh, there's an injury today or whatever. You're going to join the rotation as a backup. And, like, it's just so hard for anyone to, to, um, to catch a rhythm that way. Now, the thing with Norm is that, like, in previous years, he was so good at that. He would just step in randomly when Damari Carroll was ass, which was every night, and then he would come in and, like, not be ass, and we would love him. Um, but, like, at this year, I, I don't know what it was. Like, I think he just expected a bigger role. He thought he was sort of through that part of his life, and, I mean, I just don't think that, like, when he when he first got into the starting lineup, it was like, okay, cool, whatever. Like, it, you know, it, it wasn't working great, but it kind of was working. Like, they didn't really ride through it too much. Then he got hurt. Then he got moved. Like, you know, then OG came on so strong that they had to, you know, restructure that. And then there wasn't really role on the bench either because the bench was playing even better than the starters. And so, like, his role just kind of getting – he just kind of got squeezed out more and more and more. And I think, obviously, like, he should take responsibility in the sense of, like, you know, it didn't really fit his style necessarily, the new way of playing. But at the same time, like, how many opportunities did he get to catch his rhythm? Like, even Fred needed the first 10 games to really, like, catch on. And then after that point, he was set, right? But he still got 10 games, which is, like, three weeks in the, span, in the, in the grand scheme of things. Whereas Norm never even got three continuous weeks at one role, which, you know, probably is, could be for the better because the rest of the Raptors did really well in his roles in his place, but at the same time, like, you know, I feel bad for Norm. I still believe in Norm a little bit, and especially since, like, we probably can't trade him for too much of value right now, like, probably the best move is just to hold on to him. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that we have any choice but to believe in him at this point. That is um, true. Because, look, I think if they could get off that contract for mm-hmm. nothing, uh, they would do it. Like, if they could get rid of that contract without attaching an asset to it, I think they would do it in a heartbeat. Okay. Um, I, I don't know if that's going to be an option, honestly. Um, he's a wing so player. We'll he's see. a wing player locked into a very affordable contract, and he's shown a lot of potential in the past. Well, it's not an affordable contract if you're getting the player that he was last year is the thing. Like, you can't pay $10 yeah, million dollars could, you, a I year could, for four years for talking, that player. I can see the team talking themselves into that. I mean, obviously based on this year alone. Is, is, is trash, but I, I don't think this year, again, is, is as indicative of what he is going to be going forward, right? I just think it's such like a, it's such a tight and prohibitive cap environment right now that like, if you're a team with cap space that's like willing to absorb that money into your books, uh, I feel like you probably need to be getting some kind of like draft compensation in order to make that palatable. Mm. That's that's my feeling. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Like the Kings are always there, and maybe they're desperate. Like maybe the Nets are desperate. You never know. The but, Nets will take on anybody, but you you really do have to give them draft assets, and we already did that with Damari. Yeah, that's the thing. And like yeah. Damari was like way older than Norm is. Um, contract was maybe a little bit worse, uh, but also shorter term. Weirdly yeah, enough, Damari was way better than Norm this year. Yeah, he was absolutely. Yeah, that's what I'm talking <laughs> um, about. And yeah, slept by country by cuts. That's the reason that we don't have a first-round pick this year, which sucks. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because um, mm. it'd be nice to have one. <laughs> you know, after uh, after that playoff exit, it'd be nice to be able to at least talk yourself into, like, a draft pick, uh, being able to make an impact. <laughs> like, sure. Uh, it, it raises the ceiling of the roster. Um, but we don't even have that, so. We don't have that. But we do have um, Masai as our GM. Instead of Brian Colangelo. This is the last thing we'll talk about before we go to break. But, man, okay. we can't let this go to waste. The fact that, yo, this whole Brian Colangelo story has to be, like, the wildest. I don't even know, actually. He's not even that wild. Because you get, like, I just always find front office blunders so funny. Like, like last year when the Orlando Magic, um, it was revealed that, that that whiteboard in the background of when they signed, um, who was the player? Nicholas Brasino or someone like that? Like, yeah, some random dude. Day. Yeah, to a 10-day contract, and then, like, they have the whiteboard behind them, in which they have trades of <laughs> Aaron Gordon getting traded, <laughs> like, all sorts of crazy targets. Surge? Yeah. Surge was on their trade board. I can't believe they wanted to straight for Surge again. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it made a lot of sense, man. Like, the, the, the fact that uh, 
not only was that like ridiculously uh, transparent, but um, it, it like the moves that were written out on the whiteboard were not some like masterminding moves. You know what I'm saying? They were like trade Aaron Gordon, <laughs> trade Aaron Gordon for like Damari Carroll. You know, it was like wow, this is like front office that really doesn't know what it's doing. Yeah. That, that honestly, like, if you, you don't even have to be, like, a super hardcore fantasy person. If you co-own a fantasy team, there's a good chance you did that at some point. <laughs> in fact, you probably did it in, like, Google Spreadsheet, in which case, like, yeah, that's probably a more sophisticated way for a modern team to operate, other than just writing yeah. them on the whiteboard. If you, can, if you can run a Google Spreadsheet, you can be GM of the magic. <laughs> Yo, but seriously, what are you doing writing on a whiteboard? <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, speaking of tech Jeff Waltman, though. Oh, yeah, shout out to Jeff Waltman. Um, he's turning that ship around. Yeah, him and Steve Clifford. Um, speaking of tech savvy, though, <laughs> Brian Colangelo and I guess Brian Colangelo's wife. Um, I mean, here's the thing. I think the part that I think we kind of knew in Toronto was that like he was really sensitive and he was hyper aware. Uh, of what was being written about him, like you saw, like someone found his wife's like um, discuss page, and discuss is like, and like Raptors Public, we use discuss for the comment section to manage it, and like she was on like, you know, fringe Raptors websites. Um, you know, Brian Colangelo was reportedly in Raptors Real GM at one at one point. Or, you know, like that's that level of like not even it's not even like. Like, I guess it's kind of normal to, like, f- f- want to know what people are saying about you. But at the same time, it's ca- it just comes off as paranoia, man. Like, the way they're trying to, like, spread narratives and, like, you know, um, tear down players and tear down Masai. Like, it's like, and tear down Sam Hankey. It's like, dude, come on. This is just kind of pathetic. All of it's really pathetic. Running a burner account, seriously, is very pathetic, especially when you get caught. Yeah, I mean, it's just sad because you've got a great job, like, really one of the yeah. best jobs in the world. Um, and you would hope that at a certain point you can kind of just, like, tune out some of the noise and put your head down and just, like, do your job mm-hmm. to the best of your ability and appreciate the opportunity you've been given. Um, an opportunity that, look, uh, obviously a lot of people would claim that there's nepotism involved with the opportunities that Brian Colangelo has gotten, mm. but he's also acquitted himself pretty well. Like he did a good job as a Phoenix Suns GM. Like for a couple of years, he did a pretty good job as a Raptors GM. Two years. Um, yeah, two years. Like he came in and, you know, within a year of him being there, like they became a playoff team from mm-hmm. being, uh, you know, the team that was getting the number one overall pick. Um, that, that pick turned into Andrea Bargnani, but, uh, yeah. The I don't caliper know, like, test, I, man. He pa- he. Come on, you can't turn out a guy that passes the caliper test. We're basically <laughs> drafting like Jack Bauer. All right, like this is what we were getting. We were getting Liam Neeson from Taken. He has to be yeah. a lethal basketball player. I don't know, man. Apparently, it's really hard to distinguish like a player who is ice cold and feels no pressure, and a player who actually isn't really just aware of what's going on around him. Who, who would have known? <laughs> a dead body will basically be like the best caliper test ever. Which, you know, effectively, yeah. That's, that's what yeah. happened. Never forget the 13 games. In... Oh, man. The All-Star campaign? Shout out yeah. TBJ for that. Um, no but... one man should have all that past stuff, baby. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, some some great Primo commercials. Yeah. Uh, but look, like, you know, every GM has their blunders. Like, Colangelo for sure had his. He was far from perfect. But, like, I think he was for most of his tenure as, like, an NBA executive, perfectly adequate at his job. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. We've seen this before. It's, like, with a player like Kevin Durant, like, that, even more so than Brian Colangelo. Like, you're talking about somebody who is at the absolute top of their field, mm-hmm. a, a top three NBA player by any measure, um, still insecure enough to, like, feel the need to have a burner account where... They can defend multiple. themselves under the guise of anonymity, you know? Um, multiple. Multiple burner five, accounts. Yeah. Five burner accounts. That's a lot. One yeah. of them defending his callers. <laughs> like, word, word, you needed to defend your callers. That's when you knew. That was a smoking gun. It wasn't like, oh, the ringer brought two accounts to 
Um, Brian Colangelo and the other three went dark immediately. It was like, no, one of them was defending his callers. Nobody and in the world has no ever. no other human being would do that. <laughs> it had to be Brian himself. Dude, that um, man goes to Italy every year to pick out callers. Yeah, it's a normal-sized caller, man. Yeah. Find a new slant. A new slant. God. Um... That's gotta be the new podcast. Like, that's gotta be a new Sixers podcast, man. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't listen to it because I generally find Sixers coverage to be really obnoxious, but I might listen to that one. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, it, it's crazy, man. Like, the, I think, um, the, the whiteboard would run a pretty close second, I think, but I think given the fact that this is probably going to cost Colangelo's job, mm. um, it's gotta be the number one most ridiculous thing to, cost an NBA GM their job. <laughs> yeah, it has to be, man. It has to yeah. be. Although, it's surprising he still hasn't got fired. Like, maybe, what are they, are they waiting for Monday, like, just to hit the news cycle? Like, that's... I don't know, yeah. I was kind of expecting rude, them to, to dump honest. it on, like, Friday night. Yeah, like, Sunday night. This is peak Woj hours. Like, if, if I was at the yeah. office right In now... In the middle I would, of the finals game, too? Yeah, I would... <laughs> bro, this is when Woj is at his best. Yeah. 1.30 a.m., someone just slips some, some massive news. <laughs> um, Sam Hinkie, but right? yeah, I think no. I think regardless, uh, we we don't expect him to survive, right? No, no, you just can't, man. You can't like, even though it's not necessarily him, the fact that he leaked it to his wife and then his wife was saying these things, like, it's just hard to buy back that trust because it, it's there's it's no way he didn't to... know about it. Yeah, that's just, even if he didn't know about it, though, like, it just it speaks to sort of uh, a level of incompetence, and also like this is just what's gonna be associated with him going forward, right? Like. As, once something like as explosive this comes out, like you just you're not coming back from that. That's all. Like if you're a Joel Embiid and you're looking at Brian Colangelo, you probably think like you, you're saying one thing to me, but you probably think another thing, and you're probably telling your wife that, and your wife's probably tweeting about it. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's just hard. Like you, you when you when you spill things like what happened to um, Markel Fultz and say, and saying that like basically his personal trainer has been in a relationship with you know. Markel's mom, and he sees him as a dad figure, and he was telling him to like mess up the jump shot and everything. Like that's that's too many details to be telling, man. That's just too many details, and especially yeah. the stuff with the medical stuff. Like that's almost a HIPAA violation. Like that's you can't be telling people that Julio Okafor like failed his physical after you promised him that you wouldn't tell people that he failed his physical. Yeah, I mean, and like, that's like part of the, like, that's the reason. Like, I feel like he must have known about it yeah. because the specificity there is such that uh, he would have had to have been just, like, directly involved in some of those tweets going out, I think. Yeah. Like, they're... I don't know. It reminded me of somebody who, like, wants to give an anonymous donation, but but as soon as, like, (laughs) as soon as it's out there that there's, like, an anonymous donation, like, wants to make everybody aware that it was him that gave that donation. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He was, like, he was, like, protecting... um, like Brett Brown by by trading Nerlens Noel and not like leaking that Brett Brown was like the reason that Nerlens Noel got traded. Yeah. But then he but then he had to have his burner account that was like the only reason Noel got traded was that Brett Brown wanted him gone. And Which the only weird. reason Yeah, it, it's like he couldn't he couldn't out Brett Brown publicly, you know, he couldn't say something like that to the media, but what he could do was use these shadow accounts to Get reporters to ask Brett Brown, like, hey, was there any issue with you and Nerlens in the locker room? Hey, did, like, did Jaleel Okafor fail his physical? Is that why, like, the trade fell through? It's like, come on, man. Like, do your job. You, yeah. you know what your job is. Like, also, like, just yeah. be straight up to people, man. Like, come on. If you if you need to say that and you need to take an L on something, like, if you, if you need, really need to say, like, if you really... With that Nerlens situation, if you wanted to say, "Hey, listen, I gotta go. Like, we we gotta trade Nerlens. We gotta trade Nerlens. And you know what, Coach? Like, we're gonna we're gonna take one for the team and just say, you know, we had to trade him for this reason. We're not tra- we're not telling him because he's ruining your locker room, and everything, and you want him gone. Then just do that and just own it. Like, just own yeah. it, dude. Like, and he could have said nothing too. I mean, like everything yeah. that played out in Dallas with Nerlens was like that validated the trade that he made. Yeah. You know, Yo, like, Nerlens wow, yeah, eating just... a hot dog in the middle of a basketball game. <laughs> That's that he's right. playing in, quote unquote, is just crazy, man. Yeah, like you know, I, I feel like uh, he kind of outed himself as like a difficult locker room presence, mm-hmm. and you know, Colangelo doesn't need to be out here uh, defending himself as Eric Jr. Like, uh, just do your job, and if you do it well, people will recognize. You know? Yeah, exactly. 
but uh, obviously there's like too much insecurity there, and I think probably a lot of it stemmed from the fact that like there has been uh, this idea out there that the only reason he gets these jobs is because of his dad. And um, yo, if he gets another job, then we definitely know his his <laughs> this is his dad, man. His dad has mad sway. Yeah, I know. I don't. I don't see it happening after this whole thing, though. I think it's no. probably it for him, right? No. Yeah. Okay, all right. Let's take a quick break here, and we'll come back and take a few Twitter questions. I'm Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Injury Lawyers, and you know what makes me mad? When insurance companies deny your claim for no good reason. That's why people call me. I'm the lawyer insurance companies don't want to deal with. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. Welcome back to uh, the Raptors Weekly Podcast. Still here with Wolfon. We are here to take Twitter questions. The Twitter questions are always exceedingly negative. Um, not always, but, you know, since the playoffs have been really negative. Um, and so we can open with this one from Scott Chisholm. Trade Kyle. Period. <laughs> Is that a question? Fred, uh, Fred Van Vliet and DeLeon... That's D-E-L-E-O-N, the Leon. Hold down the PG position. What can we expect to get back? Knockdown wing score. For Kyle Lowry? What kind of knockdown wing score? Rudy Gay? You could probably get Rudy Gay back. Um, I mean, isn't Kyle Lowry's like basically a knockdown wing score, no? Yeah. So uh, I don't think you're getting any, any knockdown oh, wing man. score. That's Lowry better. for Wiggins, baby. Lowry for Wiggins. Oh, my goodness. Um, oh, God. No, man. Uh, maybe don't trade Lowry. Maybe just keep him because no, he's no the best player on the back team. For Lowry, man. Yeah, like, like which like, team is like on the cusp? We're like, yo, we, if we got Kyle Lowry, it's over. Like that's a, it's just like nobody. first of all, a really tough um, contract to trade. Yeah, you got to put back so much money in return. Yeah, and I don't know, man. I just get the sense that. Uh, Lowry is not valued that highly around the league, mm-hmm. sort of based on how his free agency went, um, and the fact that I know this was like a few years ago, but like the fact that the Knicks basically refused to trade uh, like a draft pick in Tim Hardaway Jr. for him. Um, Bro, Tim Hardaway Jr. and Iman Shumpert and that draft pick was all they had, <laughs> and we had just swindled them of Varnani, so like they weren't thinking rationally. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I mean, he was a free agent last summer and um, kind of seemed like he was ready to leave Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't find a whole lot out there. So I, I don't think there's like that much of a demand for him on the market, That's especially true. not on a $30 million a year contract. So mm-hmm. Knockdown wing uh, score, though. I think, yeah, look, Kyle Lowry is a knockdown wing score. He's an incredible shooter. Uh, he can shoot off the catch. He can pull up. He's like an adequate enough defender of wing players, so there's that. He can play off the ball or he can play on the ball. I don't really know what you want other than what Kyle Lowry is bringing you, so that's my feeling. Uh, Next one from Raps Fan. Uh, Once we finally get around to hiring a new coach, uh, do you expect a lot of assistant turnover? If they aren't picked, maybe Rex and Nick would move on. Also, has there been any buzz on Jesse Mermis getting an interview? Um, Shout out to Raps Fan for you know, mentioning Jesse Mermis. It'd be, it'd be weird uh, if, honestly, like, we replaced Dwayne Casey with a human smiley face. <laughs> that man uh, is always smiling. Jesse Mermis has a sunny disposition. Yeah. What, yeah. Is he on the Lakers bench now? He was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, no, I can't say I've heard anything about that, but I probably wouldn't be the person to ask. Um, uh, That's Blake's I, I don't know, right man. Yeah, Blake would know. Oh, Blake. Uh, any obscure Raptor? Uh, exact Blake knows, yeah. and others not just ex- not just fringe, but especially the fringe ones. You know how hard Blake grinds. Yeah, if you've passed through the nine oh five, then Blake's all up in your shit. Yeah, Blake's the Fred Van Vliet of the media. That's not true. <laughs> he's, he's, he's in the sense, in the sense that he got a lot of shine this year, and it was well deserved. Yes, yes, we can go with that. Um, but yeah, no, I I think I, I don't know, man. I, I don't. See okay. why those why why those assistants would necessarily want to move on. Uh, I feel like someone like Rex might leave, but like if depending on who they hire, like Nick's a great mind to have around offensively. They they're familiar yeah. with him. You probably want to keep some measure of familiarity. Like you don't want to just like change up the whole thing. 
at least have one voice being like, hey, um, you know, and at least just for the transition, like this is what we did in previous years. And so, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, I think, I guess it's possible that those guys were like holding out for the head coaching job. And if they don't get it, we'll want to go to a situation where it's more realistic that they might end up in that head coaching role in a couple of years. Um, you know, if they feel like they've kind of climbed, I don't know about climbing, uh, if that's the right word, but like if, if they, if, if there isn't like any room for upward mobility with the wraps for them, then maybe they want to find a situation where there is. Um, why do you think it's taking so long to, to get a coach? What's going on? Do you think there's just no rush or do you feel like, I don't know. Well, there's like, what's, what's going on? I kind of feel like there's no rush maybe if they had like a first round draft pick it'd be different because you would want to have you know like a head coach to consult with about the kind of player that you'd be choosing mm-hmm. um but the fact that they don't have a first round pick and that it doesn't seem like free agency is really going to be a big thing for them i feel like in a way there is not much of a rush um but again like uh trading season is also going to start kind of pretty soon so yeah um I do feel like you want to know who's coaching your team uh, before those conversations start to happen. Yeah, I, think, I mean, it's June. It's been, like, at least, like, it's been three weeks since Dwayne got fired. Yeah. It's a long time. Yeah. Uh, I think um, you could say they're just being really thorough. Um sure. Doing their due diligence and interviewing as many candidates as they can and making sure that they get the right person for the job. Um Maybe it's that they like expected that Bud was going to be their guy, and when he signed with the Bucks, they kind of had to recalibrate. It's weird, it's weird though, because they didn't even offer him like a concrete thing. So, as far as we know, yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, maybe it was that they interviewed him, and it like I feel like the Bucks thing happened pretty soon after that, and maybe it was just a case where he had already made up his mind that that was where he wanted to go. Mm. Um, I, yeah, no, I really don't know. Uh, I, I kind of had taken to assuming that it was going to be an internal candidate, whether it was Nurse or Stackhouse. Those seem like the two most likely to me. Um, and then you have like the Spurs guys, Messina and Udoka. Did they interview Udoka? Yeah, they, they did. Um, it's weird. There's only been six names linked to the job. Right. Yeah. And one of them was, yeah. was Rex. Right, it was Rex, Nurse, Stackhouse, the two Spurs guys. Um, I can't get over the fact that his, his name is Rex and he coaches the Raptors. It's <laughs> just so crazy, man. Yeah, that's the reason I have to hire him for the job. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't I don't know what's taking so long, but uh, I trust Masai Ujiri, and I trust that if it's taking this long, it's only because um, – it needs to, you know, because yeah, they're they're not sure yet, and they want to be sure, and I think that's fair. You know, you, they they made a big decision to fire somebody who had been with them for seven years and who had been the most successful coach in franchise history. Like they should take it seriously, and they should do all the due diligence that they can. So, yeah, and that was also part of, I mean, that open gym episode. Like it was so depressing watching. Like, it looked like they were remembering Dwayne Casey the human because he had left Earth. Like, it was, like, it was rough to, to watch him get fired, man. It was rough. Like, we don't get to actually see the scene of that because that would be crazy, but um, just see him, like, walk out the arena to that music and think about all the things that he did for the franchise, like, and all the moments that he was here, that he was there for, like, it's... Yeah. It was a big and deal. To see, a really big and to deal. watch uh, Masai's press conference again, like I, he was really emotional in that thing, man. It was, he was really, really emotional, and yeah. um, I think you know you sensed the difficulty of the decision for him, mm-hmm. how much it meant, and like how hard it was, um, and you know, uh, I don't know. That's that's again like what we were talking about. You know, there's there's a human element to this and it's not always just rational and analytical like you, these are people you're dealing with and um yeah it can be fucked up you know having to do something like that having to fire somebody despite them being a really good human being who is really good at their job yeah 
Um, yeah. You know, it doesn't work like most other industries where, like, if you put your head down and work hard and do a good job and are amicable and everybody likes you, like, you'll be fine. You know, sometimes that's not enough. Yeah. So. Sometimes being coach of the year is not enough. Yeah. Um, next one from Brad. If Masai had a burner Twitter account, uh, what would he have tweeted this year, and what would be his handles? Oh, man. Um, I feel like he definitely would have tweeted, tweeted something about, like, Surge. Probably would have put the blame on Surge. Like, oh, yo, rumor tells me that Surge back ever since he came to Toronto. Surge? Stop yeah. one practice. Yeah, I don't know. Or maybe something about Damari Carroll. So, yeah, how Serge Ibaka refuses to wear gloves in the wintertime in Toronto, <laughs> and therefore he can't catch a ball. It's like, you know, Ryan Wolstad, please ask him, please, please, why don't you investigate why Serge doesn't wear gloves? Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, yeah. Damari lied about his medicals when they <laughs> him. Damari actually yeah. had no knees. <laughs> it turned out, actually. Um, he's like one of those Ikea... Um, assembly boxes, except he was missing a couple joints, and uh, yeah, it was we just were unable to put the pin technology. Yeah. yeah, the knees you thought you were seeing. Nah. Yeah, I don't know. I think um, the thing with Masai's, I just think he's more straight up than this. Like, yeah, he's pretty yeah, transparent the with the media. That's you know. Yeah, I know. Um, he just uh, and honestly, if there was one thing, like I. Laughed mostly at like the whole Colangelo thing. Oh man. Um, if there was one thing that like sat really uneasily with me, it was the stuff about Masai. Wait, which stuff are you talking about? Because there's two levels of this. Okay, well, like the part about him calling him like a trust fund baby and saying oh, he was yeah, like yeah. living off living off the success of Colangelo's decisions. Dude, that one that one's crazy, man. First of all, if there's anyone that's a trust fund baby, it's Brian Colangelo. Like he's literally the poster child for this. <laughs> Yeah, so that's one thing. And the other thing is, I mean, Colangelo hired Masai, right? Yeah. Like, uh, I, that was, that was like one of the things that I gave Colangelo credit for. Mm hmm. Um, so to hear him speaking ill of, of the man that he kind of hired and helped, um, you know, guide into, uh, life as an NBA executive, like, gave his first big break to, like, it was, I don't know. That's that's pretty jarring. Um, yeah. Although that was what I was going to ask, though. Did you see the other section? I don't think so. I don't know. Okay, so um, again, this is like this is none of this is like necessarily confirmed. Um, but like that one account, that one Twitter account, Eric Jr. was like apparently tra- traced back to his wife, mm-hmm. Colangelo's wife, um, and then they also found a discuss page with Colangelo's that was also apparently supposed to belong to Colangelo's wife. Again, none of this is specifically confirmed. Um, but on both of those accounts, one's on a, a tweet that was kind of short that kind of talked about how like, they were saying that Masai snaked um, Colangelo for the job in 2013 when they, you know, basically when they fired uh you know, Colangelo and they hired Messiah that summer. They were saying how, like, you know, Colangelo was the one that came up with all these ideas for, like, the new practice thing and the all-star thing, and Messiah was just like, oh, that's that's a cool plan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that to, to get hired and take your job. Um, and then, I don't know, there's actually some more details about Tim Lawicki and stuff like that in the um, in the discuss threads. It, again, this is, like, crazy, 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 crazy theories here. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Also... I just, I just respect Masai for being able to swindle people so hard. Uh, stay mad. Honestly, that's my response. Stay mad. If I were, <laughs> if I were Masai, I would probably just tweet out, stay, stay mad right now. That's it. Period. Yeah. Cause like, yo, it's um, crazy that he tries, like, he takes this much credit for it. Because like, come on, none of this shit was happening when you, when you put this together. Don't even, don't even pretend like you were gonna like, alright, yo, this, this is the team that's gonna make playoffs five straight years and win, you know, 50 games three times. Like, come on! You didn't think that, and that's a lie. And it wouldn't have happened on 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 uh, Colangelo's watch because he would have traded right. all these guys, you know, five minutes yeah, into their careers. And look, I've I've said in the past that Colangelo deserves credit for trading for Kyle Lowry, drafting Demar Derozan, giving Demar Derozan that extension that uh, you know for the last two years of it proved to be a great bargain. Mm-hmm. Um, like. You know, he definitely made some blunders and he made some really good moves while he was the Raptors GM. Um, but 
like, I don't know, man. Like, you you, you got to let go at a certain point and, yeah. <laughs> and acknowledge that, like, somebody else is in charge and, like, allow them to take credit for the things that they've done well that you weren't a part of. Yeah. And I don't know, man. Like, to answer the question, I, I honestly can't even imagine Masai having a burner account. He just doesn't seem... No. He doesn't seem like he would care enough. He doesn't seem petty enough. Um, and, and he seems too focused on, like, other things that are actually important, is my feeling. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and then, okay, let's end up with this. Karn, Karn Sharma, regular listen to the podcast, asks, how far of a leap can OG take next season? Hmm. Um, I don't know. I think, uh, I guess I don't see him as being the kind of player who would take a huge leap. Yeah. I feel like if you're expecting OG to like suddenly become like a 18 point per game scorer, like doesn't really make sense to me. Right. So I guess it's hard because I feel like his defense is pretty much already there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the improvements that we see from him are going to be in the offensive end. I mean, I think he's going to play more minutes too. I think that would. Yeah. Help. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But but as far as taking the leap, I don't know that I see it as a leap. I just think that like over the next few years, he's going to every year incrementally improve offensively, while continuing to be an elite defensively. Right. I don't I know would, what do you think? I, I would. I mean, I, I think the, the 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 comparisons to Kawhi and whatever was always like a little bit too not a little bit very very um, overblown. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, the basis was like, you know, he didn't talk much. It's like, okay, cool, but that's that's not enough to, to just be Kawhi. Um, another trajectory, if you want to compare it to, like maybe he has like a Paul George level of development, which again would be crazy. Like it's it's crazy that to expect anyone to develop into an all star like that. But you know, Paul George also had a actually Paul George's rookie season is a lot more comparable to OG's regular season or rookie season than um, than Kawhi's. But I mean, yeah, I mean Paul George kind of slowly. Uh, you know, increase in his role. Uh, PJ in his second year averaged 12 points a game, um, playing about 30 minutes a game. And, uh, you know, he improved as a shooter. He was he was a little bit better at attacking the rim. Um, and he also remained a really good defensive player. And I think that's probably where, you know, if you want to see like a somewhat, like a, the best case scenario is probably the same thing as, as what happened to Paul George, where in his second year, you know, he got a little bit more share of the responsibilities. I think there are also circumstances in that year for Paul George. I think Danny Granger's injury kind of gave him more opportunities, and OG I don't think necessarily will have that much opportunity on offense on this team, but just, um, I don't know, seeing him play more positions. We saw him play a lot of four in the playoffs. I think he looked really good there. Um, obviously, Raptors have a glut of uh, front court players right now, but if they could shed a couple you know, players off the contracts, like if they somehow magically uh, said, sir, you're not playing in the Raptors anymore. Like, you know, you could probably see more time of OG as a power forward, and that'd be nice. Um, it'd be nice to see him develop his hand a little bit more because we've seen him be able to, you know, he's not obviously doesn't have the ball much to record assists, but, like, he makes really good passes. Uh, and, you know, just, I don't know, just see a couple more things in his game because, like, you could kind of see a few dots that if you're able to, like, seamlessly connect the fact that he can kind of post up a little bit. He can pass it a little bit. Um, he can definitely shoot it from outside. Um, and, you know, he's a good offensive rebounder and things like that. Like, there's a couple of things you can work with there where, it's, you know, you can mold yourself into a nice player offensively that does more than just, you know, catch and shoot corner threes. Yeah, I think the really interesting thing will be to see if they, like, let him run some pick and rolls next year. Sure. Like, that's – if you're talking about Paul George, that was a thing – basically in his second and third year that like they started to let him do that kind of helped him become this offensive force was um, they put the ball in his hands more and started having him run pick and roll. And it was like really, really disastrous at first. Uh, he was turning the ball over all the time, mm-hmm. um, but he figured it out eventually. And then suddenly they had this guy who was like an incredible defender who could also run pick and roll and shoot threes off the dribble. So, Maybe it's the kind of thing where you have to be willing to accept a little bit of short-term pain for a long-term gain. Yeah. And uh, definitely, if you look at OG and the player he is right now, like he doesn't look like a player who's capable of running a lot, like you know, five pick and rolls a game, you know, let alone fifteen. 
mm-hmm. or 20. Um, but uh, he does kind of look like a player who might be able to do it in short spurts, uh, in, you know, in a few years. So maybe you just start kind of testing it out a bit next year uh, and allowing him to expand his game that way just by putting the ball in his hands and, like, seeing what he can do with it. Yeah. Yeah. But expecting him to be too much is probably what Raptors fans will do because that's what we do to all our prospects. We'll turn him into norm again, and, you know, it's going to be annoying um, to have to deal with that schism. Anyway, Wolfon, thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, yeah, thanks hope, for having me. Yeah, for sure. Um, hopefully, listeners, um, I don't know. I mean, I just hope that we can get over this and just kind of go back to talking about Raptors basketball as normal. And like, instead of looking at these things as like, oh, this hugely draining thing that you had to do, like a chore, uh, and move from that to something else where it's like, all right, these are our problems. This is how we should try to solve them. And sort of just think about the Raptors as a normal basketball team again. Um, I think part of that is to embrace the failure, which I think everyone has more than done. So far, and, you know, then you can walk back to the fact that, like, yeah, a lot of good things happened this year, and, you know, because the team won't change that much, a lot of that's going to happen again next year, and we should hold on to some of those things. You know, not everything was invalidated. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I can always... I can already kind of see how it's going to go. It's like the ESPN uh, predictive model will predict that the Raps will win, like, 44 and a half games. Mm-hmm. They'll come out and win like 55. Demar um, will say yeah. FOH. Demar will like add some new wrinkle to his game. Sure. Uh, That's we'll not defensive new... three point shooting. <laughs> it's never those things. Ever. Hopefully, one, come hopefully on. one of those two things. Come on. Yeah. Um, but you know, we'll find some new reason to talk ourselves into the team. And yeah. uh, it'll be awesome. And they'll probably let us down again in the playoffs. And it'll be sad. And. We'll repeat the cycle again, you know? It's, uh, there are worse things to do with your time. Yeah, especially. Yeah, it's basketball in wintertime, all right? Like, come on. It's just watch the game, have a good time, be like, wow, look at him doing this today. Look at Pascal Siakam doing this. Like, whoa, wow, he's a point forward now. And then, and then the playoffs, <laughs> just like, just turn it off and go outside and enjoy the weather. Like, it's nice, man. It's, it's a, <laughs> that's yeah, what the Raptors are there for. They're, they're, they're there to take you through the wintertime. And honestly, yeah, if you they do a uh, great job, if you if you need a reminder of of what things could have been like, uh, you know, just look at the mess that Brian Colangelo is in in <laughs> Philadelphia right now. Uh, that's yeah. not happening in Toronto; it's happening mm-hmm. in Philly. Uh, we have a stable um, president of basketball operations and general manager, and a seemingly functional front office. Um, and a team that uh, is built to basically be a sustained winner. So right. appreciate that shit. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Wolfon. You can follow Wolfon uh, on Twitter at Joey W. Um, you can listen to Wolfon on Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by the Score. That will be recording a new episode tomorrow, um, probably in the afternoon. We haven't really confirmed that yet, but um, yeah. Until then, until next week. Raptors fans, please. I, I, I pray, I'm praying for all Raptors fans. All right, just, just please. We, we can get over this and be back to regular basketball fans at some point. <laughs>